Found along the sword coast of Forgotten Realms, the secret rulers of a city known as Waterdeep are looking for bands of adventurers to go on a variety of different quests to not only help the city, but also aid the particular lords in their given objectives to become the principal ruler of the city. Greetings and welcome to Checkpoint Gaming. With this series of episodes, we will be going over how to play the game Lords of Waterdeep. But before delving into today's episode, let's talk about today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Twin Suns Ranch, which is a guest ranch found in Southern California, where its team of set designers, actors, and galactic explorers come together to build a fully immersive experience where participants will be able to engage in a variety of endeavors based upon their given desires. This can include such things such as cosplaying, war reenactments, and laser tag. Depending upon what you want, Twin Suns Ranch can help you achieve that goal. Just reach out to them and see what you can come up with. You can find them at www.theweekendstrikesback.com slash galaxies slash index dot The link will also be found in the description. With Lords of Waterdeep, it was designed and published by Wizards of the Coast, where the player takes on the role of a city lord in order to hand out quests to adventuring heroes. With the City of Waterdeep, it is found within the Forgotten Realms setting of the long-running role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons. As one of the secret rulers of the city, each player will use their agents to recruit bands of adventurers in order to complete quests as well as to advance their given agendas. And though each Lord of Waterdeep has the safety of their city at heart, each Lord also has their own plans they are trying to achieve. This can be done through backroom deals, using mercenaries, and even straight-up bribery with each Lord trying to be the greatest within that of Waterdeep. In order to achieve this, each player, which is represented by their respective Lord, will do what they can to gain victory points over the course of eight rounds. The player that possesses the most victory points at the end of the final round will be deemed the winner. With the base components of the game, they consist of a game board, a rule book, a storage tray, five player mats, 100 adventurer cubes that are equally divided into white, orange, black, and purple, which represent clerics, fighters, rogues, and wizards, respectively, five wooden score markers, 25 wooden agents with five of each color, one ambassador, one lieutenant, one first player marker, 11 Lord of Waterdeep cards, 50 intrigue cards, 60 quest cards, 24 building tiles, 45 control markers with 9 of each color, 51 gold tokens, 10 5 gold tokens, 36 victory point tokens, and 5 100 victory point tokens. With the game board, it is to be placed into the center of the play area, within easy reach of all of the players, and it represents the various wards that make up the city of Waterdeep, with a track found near the bottom of the board that marks the passage of the rounds, along with another tracker running along the outer edge of the board in order for the players to track their score. As one of the Lords of Waterdeep, each player is assigned agents that are used to further their interests within the city. These agents represent the player's agent pool and are to be placed into the player's respective agent pool area of their given player mat. These agents are different colors that represent each lord's factions, and when a player chooses a factions, they'll also take the agents of the corresponding color. With these agents, they belong to a variety of different organizations found within the city which are used by the lord in order to accomplish their given ends. They can be compared to that of Mr. Burke from Fallout 3 who works for Alistair Tenpenny. They also correspond to the player colors found within the game. 
With the city guard, their color is black, and they are the defenders of the city who engage in patrols throughout the city as well as the surrounding countryside. They also act as bodyguards for visiting dignitaries. With the Knights of the Shield, their color is yellow, and though they present themselves as merchants and nobles, they are actually information brokers with their influence stretching along the Sword Coast as well as far inland. With the Harpers, their color is green and was founded by elven leaders and the Council of a Legendary Wizard. It is a secret society that fights for personal freedoms along with the needs of both civilization and nature. With the Red Sashes, their color is, of course, red, and they protect the poorest parts of Waterdeep through their mastery of intrigue. They help those who want to hide and flee the city, and also being able to find those who wish to remain hidden. Finally, with the Silver Stars, their color is blue, and they're devoted champions of the Moon Goddess. They work tirelessly for both freedom and peace, as well as despising slavery and abhorring the undead. With the initial number of agents that any player will get, it is dependent upon how many people are playing. If there are only two players, then they will get four agents at the start of the game. If there are three players, then they will get three agents at the start of the game. And if there are four to five players, then they will get two agents at the start of the game. On top of this, one additional agent of each player color is to be placed close to the round 5 space of the rounds track, which will become available for use once reaching round 5. There is also a sixth spot that is colored gray and is available when game expansions are being used. There are also two neutral agent pieces that come with the game, and they are the ambassador and the lieutenant. These particular agents don't begin the game under control of any given player. Instead, a player is able to obtain them through in-game effects, thus allowing them to be added to a given player's pool. In addition to the agents, each player will get a scoring marker which is circular in design and matches the color of their agents. These scoring markers are to be placed onto the scoring track upon the space that is labeled zero. Scoring counters that represent 100 victory points are also provided and given to a player if their scoring marker passes the zero space during gameplay. Regarding the player mats, they possess a color that matches the colors of their corresponding agents and are used to keep track of the resources that the player has obtained. We also recommend that during setup, each player selects a respective player mat before obtaining any respective pieces. With the agent pool section of the mat, it is where the agents are to be kept when they are yet to be assigned. And at the end of any given round, all of the player's assigned agents are to be returned to their respective agent pools. With the tavern section of the mat, they will hold any adventurers that a player has hired until they use them in order to complete a quest. The player will also store their gold within the tavern. Finally, with the completed quests section of the mat, it is where the players are to put their completed quests that they have obtained. When it comes to that of the various adventurers, they're hired to accomplish a variety of different tasks, and there are four kinds of adventurers, clerics, fighters, rogues, and wizards. With the different quests that a player can collect, they require different kinds of adventurers in order to complete them. Along with the gold pieces, these adventurers make up the game supply, which are to be placed off to one side of the game board. And if there aren't enough of a particular adventurer type found within the supply to hire, then the player who wants to hire them can only hire those that are available within the supply. 
Accompanying what has been addressed, each player will get a number of building control markers that are used to indicate the ownership of a given building a player purchased. They are also color-coded to match that of the player's agents. With gold, they come in at one and five value tokens and are used to purchase buildings, complete certain quests, and to pay for other in-game effects. When it comes to that of victory points, they are scored when a player completes quests. When it comes to that of unpurchased buildings, they will accumulate victory points over time, which are represented by victory point tokens. In addition to this, some buildings and other in-game effects will provide players with victory points. Three victory point tokens are also to be placed onto each space found along the round's track. When it comes to that of buildings, the game board consists of nine basic buildings with each one possessing one or more action spaces found upon them. With these action spaces, the agents can use them when they're assigned to a given building. The game board also possesses spaces for the given building tiles that a player has purchased and put into play. Although there are only 10 empty spaces found upon the main game board for the building tiles to be placed into, this doesn't limit the number of building tiles that can be put into play. For any building tile that exceeds these building tile spaces, just place them in a convenient place that is on or near the board. With that said, a player can never control more buildings than they have building control markers. This will limit each player to that of nine total buildings they can control. At the start of the game, three building tiles are drawn and placed face-up in each of the three spaces found connected with the Builder's Hall, with the remaining building tiles being placed in a face-down pile within the labeled space found next to the Builder's Hall. Found with each building, regardless if it was printed directly onto the game board or upon a given building tile, they contain the same types of information, which consists of name, cost, instructions, and owner. With name, it is the name of the given building which should be pretty obvious. With cost, it represents the amount of gold that is needed in order to purchase the given building. With instructions, it represents the resources that the building will provide, depending upon the building in question. And with owner, it shows what the building's owner will obtain when another player uses said building. It's basically the benefits the owner will gain if someone else uses the building and can be seen as the landlord obtaining rent from a tenant. When it comes to that of cards in the game, they represent the tasks that the adventurers can perform in the service of their given lord, assisting the machinations of said lord and achieve secret victory conditions. With these cards, they consist of lord, quest, and intrigue cards. With the secret administrators of Waterdeep, they are known as lords, and there are 11 of them that are available for a player to secretly select. In order to select a lord, the lord cards are to be shuffled with one card being dealt face down to each player, with the remaining lord cards being set off to one side face down and won't be used for the rest of the game. With the lord that a player draws, they're allowed to view it but will have to keep it secret from the rest of the players until the end of the game when the final scoring process is to occur. Each lord will grant victory points when certain conditions have been met, as described within the text found upon the given lord card. Although we won't be touching upon the given lords here, it is worth noting that the players do what they can to accomplish the objective that is associated with their given lord. 
When it comes time for a player to draw a card from any empty deck, players are to shuffle all of the cards that make up the discard pile so that a new deck is to be formed, which is then placed face down in the appropriate space upon the game board. With that said, do not shuffle the completed quest cards back into the quest deck when it comes time to shuffle the quest cards. As a Lord of Waterdeep, each player will advance their interests through the completing of quests, which is done through the quest cards. At the beginning of the game, shuffle the quest cards and deal out two cards, face up, to each player. With these quests, they represent the player's initial active quests. From there, place one quest card face up in each of the four spaces found at the Cliff Watch Inn. With the rest of the quest cards, they remain face down, thus creating the quest deck and is placed into the labeled space found upon the game board near the Cliff Watch Inn. With the quest types, they fall into five different categories, which consists of arcana, commerce, piety, skullduggery, and warfare, which will provide the players an idea of what resource type is most important when it comes to completing any given quest. With adventurer types, an arcana quest is associated with the wizard, a piety quest is associated with the cleric, a skullduggery quest is associated with the rogue, and a warfare quest is associated with the fighter. With a commerce quest, it isn't associated with any adventurer type, but will always require the spending of gold. With the different Lords of Waterdeep, they will score additional victory points when a particular quest type has been completed. With each quest card, it lists the required adventurers and gold necessary to complete it as found under the Requires line. A completed quest will provide the player a reward that is found on the Reward line. With these rewards, they can include victory points, adventurers, gold, or cards. If the reward includes adventurers or gold, then the appropriate number is to be taken from the supply and placed into the player's tavern. Completed quests will only grant their rewards once to the respective player, and after collecting the reward, the player is to turn the quest card face down upon their mat in the area labeled Completed Quests. With the completing of quests, a player is able to complete one quest after assigning one of their agents upon the board. Each quest card will also specify the type and number of adventurers needed to complete the given quest, while others will need the spending of gold as well. The player also doesn't have to complete a quest if they don't want to. But if completing a quest, only one can be done on any given turn. In order to complete a quest, the player is to remove the required adventurers and gold from their tavern and return them to their respective supply. From there, the player will collect the specified reward. And, regardless of how many agents a player has assigned or reassigned on their turn, they can only complete a single quest on that turn. Regarding active quests, they are incomplete quests that the player possesses, and they will have to be kept face-up and adjacent to the player's given mat. This is so that the other players will be able to see which quests the given player is currently working on. It is worth noting that with some intrigue cards, they constitute as mandatory quests, which is to be played onto an opponent in order to hinder said player's plans. After playing an intrigue card that possesses a mandatory quest, said player will choose an opposing player and place the mandatory quest face up in front of said player. Once possessing a mandatory quest, said player cannot complete any other quests until they have completed the mandatory quests that they possess. 
Besides mandatory quests, there are a few plot quests found within the game, which basically indicates that they are important to the successful management of Waterdeep. This can be seen with the fact that they possess ongoing effects on top of any rewards that they provide. These cards can be quickly identified by looking at the name found upon the card as seen with the fact that the plot quest name is that of a different color than that found on ordinary quest cards. Once completing a plot quest, it is to be placed face-up near the player's mat as a reminder of its ongoing effect. Regarding intrigue cards, they allow the players to secretly manipulate others in order to achieve one's ends. At the start of the game, shuffle the intrigue cards and deal out two of them, face down, to each player. Although each player is allowed to look at their own intrigue cards, they're also to be kept secret from the other players. With the remaining intrigue cards, they're to remain face down and make up the intrigue deck, which is to be placed into the labeled area of the game board, which is found near that of Waterdeep Harbor. Printed on each intrigue card is the text, Play at Waterdeep Harbor, and this is meant to assist new players to the game. With that said, players will be able to play intrigue cards when they're directed to do so by a building's instructions or when part of a quest reward. When an agent is assigned to one of the action spaces found at Waterdeep Harbor, said player is able to play a single intrigue card they have in their hand. But if a player doesn't possess any intrigue cards, then they will be unable to assign one of their agents to said location. This is because assigning an agent to Waterdeep Harbor while lacking any intrigue cards would represent a wasted action. It's also the developers of the game preventing any given player from maliciously hindering their fellow players from playing intrigue cards. At least that's the assumption that we're working off of regarding this particular matter. When a player plays an intrigue card, then said player is to follow the instructions that are found upon it immediately, with its effects only occurring once. And with the intrigue cards, they are classified as being either an attack card, a utility card, or a mandatory quest. With an attack card, it will either hinder or penalize an opponent, which will typically help the player who played it. With a utility card, they do something beneficial for the player who played it. And with mandatory quests, they will force an opponent to undertake a minor, albeit pressing, task before said player is able to finish any of their other quests. Before starting the game, determine who will be going first, which is the player who most recently visited another city. From there, give the player the first player marker and four gold. Going in a clockwise direction, each player will receive one more gold piece than the player found right before them until all players have received their starting pool of gold. So financially speaking, it would be good to be the last player in this situation. With the structure of the game, it is played in rounds with each round seeing the players taking turns where they assign their agents to perform a variety of tasks. With the round track, each round space starts off with three victory point tokens as indicated upon the setup instructions. The victory point tokens also serve as an indicator of what round it is. At the beginning of each round, remove the three victory point tokens found upon the round space and place one victory point token face up upon each building tile found in the builder's hall. With some of the building tiles, they possess special instructions that are to be followed when it is purchased, as well as at the start of each round. If any of these buildings are in play, then follow the start of round instructions that are found on each of them. Once all of the start-of-round effects have been completed, then the players will be able to take their turns in order.
At the start of round five, each player is to take their extra agent piece that is found in the space near the rounds track and add it to their respective pool. Once claiming this extra agent, it is available to the player for the rest of the game. When a player takes their turn, they will do so one at a time, starting with the player that possesses the first player marker, with play progressing in a clockwise motion from said player. On the turn of any given player, if the player possesses any agents that are available to be assigned, they can perform one or both of the following actions. Assign agent and complete quest. Since we already addressed the complete quest action earlier, we will be focusing upon assign agent here. With a player that possesses any number of agents within their given pool, then they are allowed to assign one of them to any of the unoccupied action spaces found on the board, whether it is connected with one of the basic buildings or one of the buildings that have been put into play. However, an agent is unable to be placed into an action space if it already contains an agent, regardless of its owner, or the building in question is yet to be played. Once assigning an agent, follow the instructions that are associated with the given action space, with that action only being taken once. Players also cannot choose to pass on their turn unless the player is in the unlikely event that they cannot take an action on their turn. If that's the case, then they will have to pass. If a player possesses any agents, then they will have to assign one of them. If a player doesn't possess any more agents within their pool, then they can no longer take a turn during the round, thus causing play to skip to the next player found in order who still possesses agents. And if a player is unable to assign an agent due to no action space being available, then said player will have to pass with play proceeding to the next player. And if there is no legal action spaces available, thus preventing players from assigning their agents, then the round will come to an end. Under certain circumstances, a player might have to add an agent to their given pool during reassignment from Waterdeep Harbor. In this situation, said player will have to assign their agent immediately before the next agent found at Waterdeep Harbor is to be reassigned. And any time when an effect refers to a player's unassigned agents, it is in reference to the agents found in their given pool. With the buildings found within the game, we'll address some of them here with a detailed description of them in a future episode. With the Builder's Hall, when an agent has been assigned to it, it will allow the player to purchase one of the face-up building tiles that is available to be purchased through the spending of the listed gold cost. After purchasing a building, said player will immediately score any victory points that are associated with that building, and they will place the building tile into one of the open building spots found upon the board along with one of their control markers. This is to indicate that they own said building tile. And once the building tile has been purchased and placed into its building slot, a new building tile is to be immediately drawn from the top of the building stack and placed face-up into the vacated building space. After a building has been bought and put into place, it is available for anyone to use by assigning an agent to it, just like that of any other building that is found upon the game board. And if someone other than the building's owner assigns an agent to said building's action space, then the owner will gain the benefit that is listed in the tile's owner line. But if the building's owner uses said building tile, then they won't obtain the benefit listed upon the owner's line. In order to purchase a building, said player will have to assign one of their agents to the builder's hall and pay the associated gold cost for it. And if a building is put into play through that of any other means than buying, it doesn't count as actually purchasing said building. 
And if a player puts a building from the Builder's Hall into play under their control and it possesses victory point tokens upon it, then said player will gain victory points for it, regardless of how said building was put into play. But if a building that possesses resources gets removed from the game, then any adventurers and gold it possesses will be returned to the supply and any corruption tokens that it possesses will be returned to the corruption track. With the Cliffwatch Inn, it possesses three action spaces instead of the typical one and allows any player to assign more than one agent to it if it still possesses open action spaces. But with that said, no more than one agent is able to be assigned to any given action space. The Cliffwatch Inn is also where players will typically obtain new quests. Because of this, four face-up quest cards are to be placed in the quest spots of this given building at the start of the game. And whenever one of the face-up quest cards have been claimed, a new quest from the quest deck is to immediately replace it. But with that said, each action space possesses a different effect to it, with the player being able to choose which of the available action spaces they will be assigning their agent. Going from left to right, these action spaces possess the following effects. The first action space allows the player to take one of the face-up quest cards along with two gold from the supply. The second action space allows the player to take one of the face-up quest cards along with an intrigue card. And the third action space causes all of the face-up quest cards to be discarded with four new quest cards replacing them from the quest deck. From there, the player will then take one of the new face-up quest cards. Finally, we have Waterdeep Harbor. Like Cliffwatch Inn, it possesses three action spaces with no more than one agent being able to be assigned to any given action space. Once assigning an agent to Waterdeep Harbor, two effects are to occur. First, the player gets to play an Intrigue card, which was addressed earlier, and second, the agents get reassigned, which is to occur after all of the agents have been assigned for the given round. With this reassignment, it is to an action space other than those found at Waterdeep Harbor, which is to occur in order, starting with the agent found in action space number one. It is worth noting that some game effects will allow players to reassign agents during gameplay, once all agents found at Waterdeep Harbor have been reassigned, then the round will come to an end. From there, all agents are to be returned to their respective agent pools with the player that possesses the first player marker beginning the next round of play. After the eight rounds have elapsed, the game will come to an end with the final scoring of each player being performed. This consists of each player counting their victory points along with any advances that their respective scoring marker obtained. On top of this, the player will obtain one additional victory point for every adventurer that is found within their tavern. For every two gold found within the player's tavern, rounding down when necessary, the player will obtain one additional victory point. Finally, victory points are to be awarded to the player based upon the text found upon the given lord card a player possesses, assuming that said player met the conditions of said lord. Once all of that has been completed, the player that possesses the most amount of victory points is deemed the winner. But in the case of a tie, then the player that possesses the most gold will be deemed the winner. With certain plot quests, benefits will be triggered after the player who has completed it gains resources from taking an action. Said player is to gain the resources from taking a given action only after they have assigned an agent to it and carrying out the instructions found upon the action space that gives the player a particular resource.
When it comes to that of gaining resources due to another player playing an intrigue card, it won't trigger the benefits associated with plot quests that require a certain action to be taken. And like the gaining of resources from completing a quest or the benefits gained from a given plot quest, they never count as gaining resources when performing an action. When it comes to that of completing actions, the player will have to be able to follow all of the instructions listed upon the action space in order for them to take said action. This includes paying the price for a building, returning adventurers to a given location, playing an intrigue card, and so on. With the moving of resources, unless it is otherwise stated, adventurers, gold, and corruption are to be transferred between the player's tavern and the supply or corruption track. When it comes to that of that of resources found upon any of the boards, they will never be affected by resource movement unless it is otherwise specified. And when it comes to that of certain actions and card effects, they require one or more players to perform choices. And since the corruption value is able to vary between players' choice in these cases, assuming if playing with Skullport, each player is to choose their turn. So with that said, that is what you need to know about the base game of Lords of Waterdeep. With that taken care of, we can start talking about the expansion Scoundrels of Skullport. If you liked this episode, feel free to give it a like, and if you want to stay up to date on any future episodes we upload, go ahead and subscribe. You can also support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash checkpointgaming. See you in the next episode, and happy gaming.